imagen por la cual vale la pena arriesgar la vida, sacrificarse hasta la muerte en los campos de batalla de todos los continentes del mundo. Live from West Berlin, it's the committee program brought to you by Cadre Cigarettes, starring Ron Chattery, Julia Doubleday, Forrest Lovett, Fiamma Meli, Jevat Castrati, and yours truly, Jacopo Castelletti. We now join the show already in progress. This is Cross Atlantic Cross Talk. Welcome back to the committee program, and this is another edition of Cross Atlantic Crosstalk with the Cross Atlantic Crosstalk gang. That is Ellie Mayo Hagen, director of the Class Think Tank, and deputy director of committee Julia Doubleday. Hello to you both. Hi. Hello. This is a sort of a self-proclaimed change of direction um, from the people. Uh, yeah, we do have a slight delay that you guys are responding back to me later, but we'll hopefully fix that in editing. Um, in that, we are going to talk about a solid piece of culture rather um, than politics. We are going to do what Walter Benjamin says. We are going to politicize aesthetics instead of aestheticizing politics. As you know, that is, of course, the playground of fascism, communism, art and mechanical age reproduction, etc., etc., etc. But what we are, what I'm trying to say is that at the behest of Ellie Mayo Hagen, we're going to talk about Showtime's Yellow Jackets. Oh, yeah. Ellie, can you say why that uh, jumped out at you is something that you wanted to talk to us about today? I really like how you tried to make it relevant there when actually, no, it was just me lobbying hard. I got Benamine in there, <laughs> the arcades. It was like we were in uh, Paris, right? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. No, just to, just to be clear, this was me, like, sort of sending lots of aggressive messages to the Crosstalk WhatsApp group being she like, just this is what show. we need to talk about. Yeah, I just love the show. We were talking about it on Instagram. I, mean, yeah, no, the show is good. Yeah. I mean, does it have, is it political? I think, okay, if we want to put a political or cultural... Just you know, dive in. What, what grabbed you? What grabbed you? It doesn't have to be political. Just what grabbed you? Just talk, um, to, talk to us about it. So many things grabbed me about it. First of all, the soundtrack is absolutely banging. It's such a good soundtrack. Um, second of all, I've, I, I think, like, honestly, and this is not me trying to sound intellectual, like... I honestly think that one of the things I loved about it was that it... So basically, for your viewers who haven't seen it, I should probably say, if you haven't seen it, you should probably not watch this, because we're definitely going to do spoilers, and you don't want spoilers. You want to come out of this. I watched this with not much knowledge about it, and you definitely want to do that if you can. So come back to this show. Yeah, me too. Go watch it, and then come back. But... Um, yeah, I think what I... In fact, we'll put the trailer in right now girls. to give people that time. I'll never forget the day I heard their plane had gone misty. What do you think really happened out there? All I know is that what happened was a tragedy. Those girls were special. They were champions. I used to think all the sex the drinking, the drugs. I used to think I did those things because of what happened out there. What I saw, what I did. Hello, Misty, you crazy bitch. It's been a while. I take it you know why I'm here. Okay, I'm out of here. 
We agreed. Say no more than we have to. The truth is, the plane crashed. A bunch of my friends died. And then the rest of us starved and scavenged and prayed until they finally found us. I think we both know there's more to it than that. I think it'll be good to reconnect with some old friends. Yeah, I love that it's teenage girls, and I think, um, like, what I liked about that is that I feel like there is something quite uh, sort of vicious and a bit Lord of the Fliesy about being a teenage girl anyway. Because I think, like, when you're a teenage girl, you have a lot of sort of emotional sophistication that allows you to really cause a lot of uh, chaos and pain. <laughs> But not enough some emotional sophistication to sometimes, like, rein that in. And I also think that teenage girls are socialised to feel competitive with one another. So I like the idea that they all had this strong bond through the sports team, which made them teammates rather than rivals. Um, because I think the natural setting, at least it was, this was how it was when I was a kid. And this is set in 996, and I was 12 in 996, or 11. So I, I was a bit younger than these girls who were, like, I think they're supposed to be, like, 15, 16. Um, but I think, like, when I was a kid, I definitely felt had this sense of there wasn't really such a thing as feminism in the 90s in the same way as there is now. And when I was a kid, there was, de like, a teenage girl, there was definitely this sense of, like, other girls are your rivals and you're sort of competing with each other for, for like, the sort of top spot and also for the sort of affections of men. And so I didn't feel like the, the, the premise where these girls sort of left to their own devices become these warring clans of cannibals was, like, totally removed from the experience of being a teenage girl anyway. I kind of felt like if you take that, if you take that experience and dial it up to 11... And then you remove the sort of adult world, then then you do get like you know maybe you would get like, like cannibalistic clans. I mean, obviously, I don't think you actually would, but you know what I mean. It, it like I think it, it sort of speaks to something about the sort of experience of being a teenage girl. Anyway, like the kind of the rivalry, the sort of feeling that you're kind of I don't know. I definitely feel like when you're a teenager, there's this sense that you're going to be sort of found out in some way that you need to like protect yourself. I think all of that kind of you know, you're already a suspect, kind of in our society as a teenager, right? Yeah, and I think like it's all of that heightened up like to horror movie levels, and that that's what I really enjoyed about it. But there's also just more simple things like yeah, the soundtrack. Um, the fact that it's got Christina Ricci and Juliet Lewis, um, Christina Ricci's character and the younger version of her character, I just absolutely was obsessed with. Fantastic. Yeah, so good. Yes. Um, and just because, I think because it opens with like, you knowing what becomes of them. So you know how like far down the road that they get with this kind of crazy sort of experience that they're having in terms of, you know, that they get to wearing animal skin and eating one another and kind of living like a cult. And and then it takes you right back to the beginning. And so I think it's just really compulsive viewing because you're just desperate to know how you, you got from A to B. Um, and, it, and it, like, it does it so well, the sort of experience of them. Um, and then obviously there's, like, the mystery in the present day of who's sending them postcards and... Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, all of that stuff that sort of keeps you, keeps you hooked in. Yeah, it's just so good. It's the best thing that I, last year I think the best things I watched were White Lotus and Mayor of Easttown. And I think this was as good as one of those. It was mm -hmm. the best thing I've seen in ages. I absolutely loved it. Julia, this is very close to, you know, a couple years older again, but, you know, your understanding of the world of the mid-90s, like, you know, did you, how, how, did, you, how did you react to this, to the show? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Ellie's on to something with, like, the feminism of the mid-90s being kind of, like, non-existent, but especially in culture. So, like, if you go back and watch, like, popular 90s movies now, um, they're, like, so openly hateful towards women. First of all, women aren't in them. <laughs> like, they're not in them. Like, there's always one woman character, um, and that's a love interest, and she's, like, very beautiful, and then there's, like, ten different male characters. None of them pass the Bechdel test. Um, and, you know, this is, like, def it, every episode obviously passes the Bechdel test because they're just talking about surviving in the wilderness. Um, so it's, I think it's always nice as a woman to just see a show that has a sort of like reverse ratio, the reverse gender ratio than like what we grew up with. And it's like, it's so like subtle and insidious also, I think like, even if you go back and watch like Toy Story, like the first Toy Story, there's like 20 toy characters. They don't even need to have gender because they're toys, but they're all men. The dinosaur's a boy. The, like, slinky guy's a boy. And then there's, like, a one woman character, which is little Bo Peep, and she's a dumbass. And, like, she basically just exists as, like, a sex object for Woody, even though it's a kid's movie. Like, it's very bizarre. And every movie basically had that ratio of, like, 12 men and then one sex object woman. So... I do think that, like, it's cool getting this media now where it's set in the 90s and we get to see 90s women and, like, 90s girls doing things, talking to each other. And obviously, like, men are still a factor, but they're in this Lord of the Flies, like, situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of a risk for them to sort of give away right away that they all, like, end up becoming cannibals. Um, but... I think it worked really well. One, because of what you said, obviously it like pulled you in. That's Two, the hook. they're really earning it. Like it's not like it went from like they crash and like a few days later, like just for, you know, gore and horror, like someone goes crazy, they start eating each other. It's very, very slow burn. Like you get to the end, we're all sort of led to believe that like Jackie's gonna get eaten, right? Like I thought Jackie was gonna get eaten. I think killing Jackie in that way, that literally she got killed not really by freezing to death she got killed because of this fight between her and her friend so like literally getting killed by this sort of like teen resentment she was frozen and what out ellie was saying upon right yeah and what ellie was saying about like how um hurtful teenage girls can be like that fight that they get in right before she goes outside that's a very familiar kind of fight that i've been in before where it's like you can say things to your best friend that are nobody else can hurt you that bad because they know you better than anyone, you know, like they can say things that like are just so deeply true and also maybe like, um, not a, not a nice interpretation of what they are or what they're like. Um, but it's that much more painful because it's this person who really, really knows you. So that's what killed her. Um, so I think setting that up as like sort of a, a like flashpoint of like, as we start to go like down this darker path at the end of the season, instead of doing this easier route of like, oh, they're just all on drugs, and then they eat somebody, which they, they end up backing away from. 
I think was, even though it was kind of disappointing in the moment, I think it was the right decision artistically. It makes more sense <laughs> that Shauna's going to get a lot darker and Shauna's going to get a lot crazier because she just accidentally killed her best friend who she already, like, slept with her boyfriend. You know, like, she's going to have a lot of issues from having done this. Um, it's interesting, also in terms of what you're saying, both... Oh. God, sorry. I, no, you go around. You go first, actually. Oh, I was just going to say that the 90s are kind of an interesting canvas for all of this because it is such a blank canvas. Not in that we all don't have tons of bullshit 90s nostalgia step into the 90s, only 90s kids will like, etc. But just it is this end of history moment, right? The Cold War mm -hmm. is over. Mm -hmm. Seemingly there's a cultural and political hegemony that is just the way it should be. Right. And that, and that the way it should be now should unfettered spread across the world. And this does sound like a very in a, in a very satisfying and a slightly spiritual way in answer to that. Can, oh, I just wanted to go off what you were saying, which is that I also have a theory that. So, first of all, to talk specifically about the last two years, there's had to be this choice that happens in art of whether you're going to acknowledge the pandemic happened or not. And unless you want the pandemic to actually be a plot point. Almost every movie and TV show is just like, let's do an alternate reality where there was no pandemic because we don't want to get into that. It's like a whole other topic. But that's becoming less and less sustainable, right? Because now it's been two years. So is the world of 2019 exactly the same as 2022? Not really, but they're very, very similar. Is the world of 2019 exactly the same as 2025? What about 2029? So at what point are we going to say... Well, we've got to stop doing this alternate universe thing because now it's weird. Like, now we've been in the pandemic for 10 years. Our kids grew up all wearing masks to school. Uh, should we should we all be on this alternate timeline or do we now have to turn right and come and do this? So I think that that's almost a microcosm also of what we see in a little bit of a reluctance to move beyond the 90s because I think, like, another thing that... that makes scripts potentially more complex is iPhones. Having an iPhone changes how your characters can interact, having cell phones, having constant access to be able to talk to each other and post on social all the time. If you don't want to write that into your story, which is itself a sort of character or a sort of um, a canvas that you have to then incorporate into the story, if you don't want to do that, you have to say, let's just write it in the 90s. And I honestly feel like a lot of people are doing that, especially like in horror, so you don't say, well, why don't they just text someone? Why don't they just call someone? Let's just set it before all of this stuff happened because the storytelling is simpler that way. I think um, I think it has some narrative. I think it has some sort of popular advantages in the sense that um, it, it allows for this great soundtrack. I think it appeals to people um, who are sort of in their late thirties and older because it has that nostalgia edge. But I think. Um, like, what you're saying, Julia, I think what I interpreted as that, like, as the kind of the role of the 90s in the in the show, as also the mm -hmm. outfits. I mean, they're all supposed to be, have, like, three outfits because they're all, like, you know, got one suitcase. <laughs> but for some reason, they have great outfits every episode that are different. Um, but, like, I think for me, what I thought was interesting is in Lord of the Flies, I think, if I remember rightly, the boys in Lord of the Flies... Uh, crash during the war, I think, because they get rescued by a soldier. And I think it's written during the war, and it's supposed to be this whole, like, uh, allegory for the Second World War, if my my, my days yeah. in secondary school uh, served me well. 
And I think what's interesting about this is this, this, this was like 1996, so it was like four years into the Clinton administration, and Blair was just about to win in the UK. So it's actually like these girls were actually just about to enter an exceptionally stable and prosperous period, like in sort of society and politics and, and in the economy. And, and so I think that's, I find that quite interesting because it means that, like, what's going on between them becomes very interpersonal. It becomes less of a reflection of the society around them, which is, like, unusual, not right. for everybody, of course, but for blank, more people yeah. than ever, is, like, unusually stable. So that then, so then I think that really focuses what's going on on them and on their kind of little society because it, it isn't um it, it uh, unlike lord of the flies it's not a kind of they're not reproducing this the wider society that they have like uh like been lost from um and i think that's that's like really interesting but i want to speak specifically about the death of jackie because i think that's like a really important moment um, I really like that actress too. in the show because I think yeah I think you're like you're totally yeah she's from London. She's I from think Bethel she looks Green exactly like young Susan um, Sarandon, and if they hadn't killed her, I mean Susan Sarandon is like 20, 20 years too old, but also she looks amazing. So I don't know. She if you look at like old pictures of Susan Sarandon, that's yeah. what she looks like, like this girl. She could kind of do it. She yeah. could kind of do it. She's she looks so good. Yeah, like Susan Sarandon and um, uh, Rocky. Yeah. Horror. I like and twins. she's like super young, yeah. Um, I I think like I totally agree with you, that like that death is her being frozen out of her friendship group, and it is like a sort of a metaphor for that. But I also think that is like the moment that we see the real ascension mm -hmm. of Lottie. I know that like the orgy, well, the attempted mm -hmm. and failed orgy has mm -hmm. already happened by that point, but like um, I think that. Jackie, like, because Jackie is, like, that sort of, um, the team captain, the popular girl who's going out with the popular guy, um, and she's, like, pretty judgmental of them all kind of going off the rails. I think that her dying sort of represents, like, the death of the old mm. order, like, the death of sort of social order, mm. like, the social order that existed in the, in the real yeah. world that she sort of represented because she was kind of at the top of that as the captain. And um, and so, yeah, so I think that is going to be the moment in the next season where that we where we might look back and say that's the moment where like, yeah. all became... No, I think you're absolutely right. That's right. Um, I think, like, she... Yeah, no, in a, in, a, in a graduate sense, almost. Like, it's like, you know, it's it's like sort of the, you know, you kill the king, whether it's, you know, Charles or Louis or whoever, you know, you're like, we have to do this thing, we have to kill the king, and then there's this moment of like, oh, but now what? And like, what did that mean? Uh, but you somehow were compelled to do it even just to kind of clean the slate. Sorry, Julie, I interrupted you. Oh, I was just going to say, I think you're right. I think that she was like, even in the last couple, like the last scene, it wasn't just that she got in the fight with Shauna, right? It was that... Because Shauna is objectively in the wrong in that argument. So you can kind of see it going the other way where everyone sort of sides with Jackie, right? Because Shauna slept with her boyfriend and didn't tell her. Um, but instead they all kind of side against Jackie. So I think that's also the sort of larger mood in the room that came from the fact that Jackie doesn't want to acknowledge that anyone has power except her, right? So 
Lottie being able to like conjure this bear, that is sort of a challenge to her feeling powerful. And I think we've seen through the whole show, she was the most powerful character at home, right? Like, you know, she was um, both socially and on the team, sort of like the leader of all these girls. They all looked up to her. There's that whole scene where she mm -hmm. like pulls them aside mm -hmm. at the party. Um, but as soon as they crash, like really early on in the season, it's established that like Jackie is really useless in the wild. Like she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't really want to do. She's not good at stuff. She's not good at stuff. Like she doesn't really want to do this stuff. Like she's like, ugh, like I'm not good at cleaning. I'm not good at cooking. And also I don't really want to help that much. Um, and suddenly that kind of attitude that like isn't really a team player attitude is like sort of turning everyone against her from the beginning. And then Lottie's able to conjure this bear. She's been very, very dismissive of all the magical stuff. And this is like a huge blow to her claim that like all the magical stuff is is craziness, right? So of course she is like taking it very personally. I think you're right. There's like this big conflict between Lottie and now all the girls that are sort of won over by the fact that they're literally eating a bear. Um, and meanwhile, what can Jackie give them? just like sarcastic comments and like s sitting in the corner being pretty like that's not the leader you need in the wilderness you need the antler queen <laughs> yeah and i think like <laughs> obviously i think that the queen. real the real sort of key of that moment is when um like coach tries mm. to assert his authority as the totally. adult and the man the room and <laughs> as like yeah yeah and the boss in some way and then Lottie is like, stay out of this coach. And I think that is, there is like an exchange of power happening there between the two of them because Lottie, well, I don't even think it's like Lottie has purpose. It's more that like, I think they, they are starting to think that Lottie understands the world that they found yeah. themselves in and can, can to some extent control it. Um, whereas as you mm -hmm. say, Jackie just sits in the corner <laughs> looking hot. It's not as useful. Yeah, which in is the not wild. really what. Yeah, it's super <laughs> useful in high school, but not when you when you're in a painting. What are both gosh. of you hoping? What are both of you hoping that they will expand on in the second season? And what are you both hoping also they might diminish in the second season? You go first, Ellie. Um, well, obviously, I'd like to see some more adult survivors. So, I mean, we'll probably meet Lottie in the second season. And I um, read that they were thinking of, like, I'm not sure if it was, like, the showrunners who were thinking about it or whether it's just fans. We were thinking of casting, I can't remember that actress's name, but she's in 40 Days and 40 Nights. With the, the film. With, oh, that's an old movie. Yeah, the one with Josh I don't Josh remember who's Hartnett. in this, except Josh Hartnett. <laughs> yeah. And what happened to him? I don't know what happened to him. He's actually experiencing a very welcome career revival. He uh, was just in a um, mini-series called The Fear Index that is based on a Robert Harris book. And he's also in the next Guy Ritchie film. I don't know why I know this. Oh. Um, yeah, what are you, his agent? Yeah. <laughs> I've got some news, guys. British people are required to know what Guy Ritchie <laughs> yeah. is doing at all times. With Josh Hartnett. Is yeah, that's what we that. learn. We learn what Guy Ritchie's doing at all times in school. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, so... Yeah, so I definitely want to meet adult Lottie, but I'm what I'm. I guess what I'm kind of worried about is like, I I'm worried that they might overegg this cult thing because I mean it's clear that like Lottie has since like formed a cult right based on what happened in in the forest out there as they call it what happened out there, um, and she's clearly cultivated a few followers. Um, 
I mean, cause I guess why wouldn't you if you found that you were like super powerful and you could get people to do whatever you wanted? I feel like probably a lot of people would sort of try to cultivate, you know, some kind of following if that if they did that if they found that out about themselves. But I suppose what I'm worried about is like I don't want them to sort of um, over egg the extent to which like the other girls might have followed Lottie because I think I think the more realistic. Um, storyline would be that the majority of the girls once they came back home sort of like maybe is the word de-radicalized or kind of like actually did start to adjust back to normal life just re-acclimize yeah, yeah. society and then, and then maybe and yeah. then you know had to sort of live with this sort of bizarre secret of what they did you know i don't i mean obviously you know who can actually say what would have happened if this happened in real life because it's such an extreme situation. But it strikes me as like a little bit, um, a little bit unlikely and a little bit sort of uh, cheap of the show if they... I mean, the Chilean soccer players did eat each other. That was the 80s. They did, but they didn't form a cult that they like then kind of were in for the rest of their lives. That we know I mean. of. <laughs> it's like, because I think, I feel like... And that man's name is Sebastian Panera. <laughs> Who's that? President of Chile. Just oh. uh, the, the of ex-president of Chile. No, no, no. Just knocked yes, off. yes, yes. Oh, right, okay. Uh, maybe cut that out. I should probably know that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't know all the presidents. Um, Javad, we got it. But yeah, I think, I think, um, I think that... For most of the, the vast majority of the girls, I think that the reason that they went so crazy is because of the, they were in a crazy situation. So I think for the show to then suggest that the reason that the majority of them went, well, whereas it, like Lot, and I think Lottie is the ex exception to that because her flashbacks show her show us that she's always had some level of possibly like psychic intuition and certainly like psychosis because the, there's some you know there was a scene where she's taking medication that you take for psychosis um Just yeah pills. so i feel like yeah. i feel like this you know it's, it's plausible that she would continue to be in this kind of you know this role as this sort of cult leader who em embraced the occult but i think for the rest of them i feel like that it would i do i think that they're they're the crazy stuff that they did was actually the result of a crazy situation so i think i'm a bit worried that the the new series might over egg that and might have too many of them staying in the cult as adults mm -hmm. although i do wonder about misty i do wonder whether she's secretly working for lottie it could be i think that misty also she's not she has her own agenda and i feel like you know, whoever's in power is kind of who she wants to get close to. So I don't think that she's necessarily, like, going to be a true believer in Lottie, like, in the sense that it seems like Van is really becoming a true believer. Like, Van, like, thinks she's magical, right? I think Misty is more like, we're going to eat people? Sure, I'm into that. Like, it's not like... Like, I think that Misty is capable of literally anything, and there's not, like, any morality guiding her choices or, like, any, like, sort of deep philosophy. It's more just, like, who has power, so who am I going to get close to? Um, in terms of, like, next season, yes, yeah, so I really want to see the call. I want to see what's happening with Lottie. Um, I want to know more about Thaisa killing the dog, which we were talking about. Like, 
it's it's unclear to me whether she was in like a fugue state like the way the way she does where she like eats the dirt and stuff or not i kind of think i kind of think she wasn't because of the way she like kind of reacted to winning it seemed very like oh my like dog magic worked like maybe that's not what she was thinking but like like for her to do that also seems to imply that she still believes to some degree in this like weird magic so like is she consciously doing this stuff unconsciously either way it's super creepy and then that also like folds in this whole political plot line right of of like you know what what would happen if you were a cannibal who tried to run for office um every campaign manager's i was gonna say worst nightmare but maybe it's every consultant's dream because you can just bill so many hours for this one um maybe consultant's dream every consultant's dream yeah yeah a lot of hours a lot of hours uh spinning being a cannibal so um, yeah, I, I want to understand Taisa more as an adult, like how, just how much of this, like, darkness has come back with them, because I think that's the other thing is that Shauna's really, I feel like, sort of the main character. She's really framed as, like, this person that we really relate to. She's sort of this, mm-hmm. like, every woman. Um, but she does really fucked up stuff. I mean, not only does she sleep with Jackie's boyfriend at the beginning, but, like, she kills her boyfriend, like her side piece, and she doesn't seem like that torn up she about it. The like, guy. yeah, she doesn't seem that torn up about it. Like, she's upset, but then she's also like, "This brought me back to my husband. Like, <laughs> yeah. it all worked out." And it's like, "Oh, did it though?" So I, I'm interested to see what happened. You know, I think they're gonna get away with that murder because it seems like Misty's very good at covering up murders. She also lies to everybody else about what happened. She claims that it was self-defense. She straight up just murdered this guy. So all of them are sort of, except for maybe Natalie, um, who presents as this, like, very dark, has this dark personality, um, which I actually think is interesting, because I think sometimes people who present with this sort of, like, dark nature, they're, like, into drugs, into whatever, a lot of times that's just not being able to handle the, the darkness that's around you, right? And it's because you're actually a really sensitive person deep down. And I think that's who Natalie is. Like, she's, like, the nicest one out of all of them. But if you just meet them on the street, you, that's not the impression that you would get at all. That's sort of the, the inverse of what it actually is. At one point, Tysa says uh, when... I was going to say that... Oh, sorry, uh, when... Um, Natalie is chastising Tysa for uh, paying for Natalie's rehab. Tysa says, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her, which which suggests mm-hmm. that you're right, I think, which suggests that something happens where she she does put everybody before herself. And she says herself, like, we're all living on the brink, it's just that you're better at lying to yourselves. Yes, um, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, is that all the rest of them are, I mean, Misty presents as like the nicest out of all of them. She's like this dorky nurse lady and everyone that meets her thinks she's really corny and she's a insane sociopath. Um, meanwhile, Natalie comes, you know, she just doesn't have her shit together. She is like sort of dressed all in black all the time, always has a bad attitude, bad mood, um, doing drugs, going to rehab, but she, I think she's just a drowning in this experience that she went through, and she's not really as um, tough as the rest of them. Thais is a very, very tough person. I mean, she decapitated a dog, um, but again, she comes across as this like very poised, has her shit together person. A run? That's how life is. 
this was this was really cool, and I'm glad that you I'm glad that you uh, brought us to us to do this. I agree with both of you that I think like what will be cool, what will be great to see in the in the new season, is kind of not falling into the writer's laziness of making it a lot of like very personal inter sort of drama, but actually still like what are these mysterious dark forces? What is nature? What is you know these kind of bigger these bigger blank things that I think it's harder to keep going, but I don't know. I have every I have every belief and intention that these folks want to address these issues and actually not have it just sort of fall into Desperate Housewives. Plus, also, her, you know, like plus what happens to Shauna's uh, wilderness there's baby? There's something more here. What happens to Shauna's wilderness baby? Is it dead? Yeah, it's not the right age to be the kid, right? It's absolutely no, not the right it's age. Too, it's too think, long yeah, ago. I, I feel like that's yeah. going to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that baby went on to become Sebastian Panera, president of Chile. Thank you so much for joining us on the committee program uh, as we address the important cultural issues of our time on Showtime. They work harder because they're number two. Committee. Committato. Committed. Committato. Carule. Committee. Way young way. Submitted. Thanks so much again for joining us tonight on the committee program. You can always support the show by becoming a member on patreon.com slash committee program. You can follow us on all of our social media accounts, including on Twitter at committee pro YouTube, the committee program, Instagram, the committee program, Facebook, the committee program. And you can actually visit the committee program company store now at T Public, the committee program shop. We have a couple of things. We will try to get some more. Special thanks, as always, to our team, Javak Castrati, Fiamma Melli, Jacopo Castelletti, Forrest Lovett, and committee's deputy director, Julia Doubleday. Try and look alive out there, folks. It's later than you think. This was the eighth program in our second series. For more global infotainment from the committee program, click on the video screen right or screen left. Please like and subscribe to the committee program on Sundays at 4 p.m. Eastern and 10 p.m. Central European time.